Hello everyone, I want to continue more on religion. And I spoke slowly because I'm really choosing my words carefully. This is EvilBible.com, fighting against immorality and religion. It says why I am not a Christian. I want to make it deeper. This is why I am not a religious Christian. Introduction. This essay was inspired by the consistent assumption of Christians that if I believed the Bible were true, I would become a Christian. There are several reasons for my, put in my own words, secular spirituality. The leading of which is the idea of a legalistic higher power is not probable in light of current scientific data. The second of which is I do not find the state of the world in accordance with the idea of a loving and merciful higher power. I find the state of the world in accordance with ideas of people assigning legalism and pharisaism to this particular higher power. Then of course there's the fact that the basis of this essay shall be about I do not find the biblical God fit for worship. I feel that way. Over the course of this essay there will be some times when I will when I will speak as if I believe in the Bible when in fact I do not. I'm with that I don't believe in the Bible because why is it's so easy to violate and abuse people's human rights. The question is in the answer. The answer is in the question. And it says, I plan to examine the Bible with critical inquiry. This essay will not be based upon scientific facts how they disprove the Bible. It shall be an application of my emotions regarding compassion, love, mercy, patience, and justice. Hope to explain more clearly why the God depicted in the Bible violates my idea of a moral being. This shall be done over a series of topics which we will get into. Each pointing out how Jehovah is undeserving of my worship. I will utilize biblical verses to support my claim as well as what I consider to be logical reasoning. I agree with all these things. Now would be the time to ask you to please take out your Bibles for consultation. I only cite the verse in a brief overview. I do not have the space to write out the verse in entirety. I especially don't wish to spew out so much information that I run the risk of overloading those people who dislike reading. <laughs> wow, so far this, this author and I, we are on the same page with everything said so far. Hell. Hell, of course, is the mother of all my problems with the Bible. It is perhaps the most despicable and hideous of all the Christian gods' crimes. Indeed, the cruelest of all concentration camps, certainly far worse than the ones created by the Nazis. Described biblically as the corporate lake of fire, the place of eternal torment with weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 42 to 48 that it is better to commit suicide or self-maiming than to be delivered unto hell. So according to the Bible, I assume that all I hear, so according to the Bible, I assume that all here can agree that there is an existence of hell and that hell is the worst of all circumstances. Knowing this, let me indulge as to why the existence of hell paints the Christian God is not fit for worship. I've always had problems with hell because it's all about the everlasting extermination of people who don't practice a specified denomination or a particular 
theology. And that means that billions of good people will have it bad now and forevermore. Mm. It says, I am a moderately compassionate individual, rational, moral, and nurturing. Yes, that's how I feel about me. Most of all, I'm a creator of mother. Well, the author is a mother, but I too am a creator. I'm a creator of positivity in people's lives, even though I'm not a parent. I, I propose this to you, a human question. Can all here, Christian or non-Christian, safely say that there is a God, he is our greatest thought magnified? That's the same question I'm asking. Whatever emotion we feel as human being created in, quote-unquote, his image, God is infinite, infinitely more feeling? That's another, that's the same question I'm asking, too. I want to make it clear to go back, yes, I am a moderately compassionate individual, rational, more nurture. I am. And I don't believe that God is a he. I don't, I reject the patriarchal depiction of God. But then it says, for quote-unquote, he is the creator of all things created. I believe this concept is pretty safe to assume. With this being so, my love for my daughter must be a fraction of God's love for his children. That's what the author says. This is what I say. With this being so, my love for the communities that I'm a part of must be a fraction of God's love for quote-unquote his children. Speaking as a mother, I could safely say that if my child were to commit the greatest harm upon me tomorrow, I would never wish her harm. Why? Simply because she's my creation. This is what I say. Speaking as an author, <laughs> I can safely say that I wouldn't want my creation, my book, to be decimated in any kind of way, right? Even if a lot of people didn't like my book, I still wouldn't want to be hateful like they are. Even if they burned my book or banned my book, I would still open my heart that they get all the help that they need, even if it's in jail. And um, even if it's outside, I just want to get all the help that they need. That's my deep thinking. And then the author says, if my daughter were to maim me, slam me, etc., I would still love her for my mistaken emotion demand, demands of me to protect and care for her regardless of her actions, much like all rational beings that animal kingdom includes. Well, here's my thoughts on that. The author's of a mother. I would say that despite all of the painful traumas of my life, I would still desire to remain an, an upbeat kind-hearted individual and I must admit that retributive retributive justice has its place and any form of justice should never be too strict nor too lean so there is room for healthy wrath and healthy punishment and healthy vengeance and healthy revenge okay so we're not saying get a wrong get it we're not saying it's okay to get away with all kinds of crime and we're not saying that no one deserves to be dealt with for their wrong that's not what's being said. And it says, So now I pose the question, Why then would God condemn us to hell for something as menial as lack of faith? That's the same question I'm asking. If, quote unquote, He is not infinitely more so loving than me, 
why would hell even exist? That's an, the same question I'm asking on that as well. Any true loving being would never condemn going to go his own children to everlasting torment, especially one that proclaims, quote unquote, himself to having the very essence of forgiveness. I concur. But God is just, you claim, in quotation. Most Christians have responded to this statement with the following rationalization. God cannot let all of, quote-unquote, his creation into heaven because, quote-unquote, he is just. Here's my thought on that. Why is justice something that religion is tried to control? Why not let, quote-unquote, this God define justice? Remember, humans wrote canon there's no direct proof or actual proof that this God defined everything about itself in an anthology of the ancient era that's quote unquote supposedly allegedly dedicated to quote unquote him then the author says I ask in rebuttal to this sense, when is justice more important than love in the heart of a parent? Hmm. I have that question in my heart. Is hell even justice or is it simply cruel and unusual punishment? Hmm. I have that question in my heart. It's cruel and unusual punishment. I'm going to answer it right now. And... I want to make it clear, you can have love and justice, but the type of justice that's being depicted in the Bible, it's a permanent injustice. Um, because most people are not pure evil, so they don't so hell should never abide. That's just how I feel. Uh, then it says, The Bible states the system of justice very simply. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. It does say that. That is true. There's also another variation of that system with biblical verse, quote-unquote, eye for an eye. The Christian God violates, quote-unquote, his own system of law when he damns, quote-unquote, his creations to eternal suffering. For sins as menial as theft or blasphemy. Mmm. Mmm. And there's never any proper context in the name of true wisdom in regards to anything the Bible says. It, it's, they, it's like humans are saying that the Christian God is contradictory in and of quote unquote himself. I hardly think, nor would any logical person, that throwing someone into a gnashing jaw would be justly befitting of nearly any crime. Again, I hardly think, nor would any logical person, that throwing someone into a gnashing jaw would be justly befitting of nearly any crime. And with the exception of murder, even so, eternal punishment is pretty excessive. Now, I struggle with this concept of hell. I struggle with it every day. I struggle with good and evil every day in terms of the duality. And I struggle with the concept of justice and love every day because you already know the type of childhood I had. So there are times where like I want to, to experience eternal punishment. And there are times where like I don't want them to experience eternal punishment. I just want them to experience temporal punishment. And a part of me is like, man, I just want to reconcile them without punishment, or can we reconcile with some punishment? I struggle with it. I do. I do. So there's some people who feel like, well, if you kill somebody, eternal punishment should happen to you. And I'm like, you know, it, I can't argue with that person because it's like, 
you know, tucking at my heart. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? Eternal punishment for that type of person can be excessive. Other times, like, it's not. Or maybe temporal punishment for them. Then, you know, get them, you know, cleaned up and right with, you know, with whoever our maker is. So I go back and forth that all the time. It's, it's a difficult issue. Most courts of law would take custody of your child from you just for an excessive spanking. Um, I want to make this pretty clear. I am anti-corporal punishment. I am anti-beatings. I'm anti-hittings. I'm anti- whoopings. I'm anti-whippings. I'm anti-blogging. I'm anti-using inanimate objects to hit children, you know, switches, belts, coat hangers, pots, uh, your hands. I'm against all that. I'm against spanking kids. Let's get deeper. We as a people enacted these laws, but we thought them to be logical. That's that's true. Is God above logic or what we deem as compassionate behavior? Hmm. Are humans more compassionate than God? Do humans have more empathy than God? Are humans the only compassionate beings between ourselves and God? Are humans the only beings of empathy towards ourselves? Between ourselves and God? Hmm. Those are my questions I asked off the top of my head. So, after all, quote-unquote, he pitches a majority of, quote-unquote, his children into a lake of in quotations, fire and brimstone. Again, after all, quote unquote, he pitches a majority of, quote unquote, his children into a lake of, quote unquote, fire and brimstone. I asked, I said that for in, um, emphasis because according to the Bible, God surely must be a bad parent. God may be an absent parent. God may be a deadbeat parent, according to what I've read. And it says, how many of us would want a parent such as that? I, I don't. I'm answering the question right now. I sure as hell don't. Pun intended. Any of any one of us would immediately sever our ties with such an abusive person. I, I, I have severed my ties with the biblical God. I have. Because the things I read in the Bible, I can't defend the biblical God when it comes to anything. And everything. I just can't. And it says, Yet Christians knowingly continue the the insanity of giving worship to a God so cruel. That is also my personal conviction that I am publicizing to you all. And it says, Free will, you say. It is also written I was given free will with which to choose if I will go to hell or not. How can you possibly deem something free when you must fear consequences? Hmm. I, I love these brilliant, wise questions. Hmm. That's, that completely conflicts with the definition of free. If I were to hold a gun to your head and say you have free will to not give me your wallet, but if you attempt to defy me, I will kill you. Oh, that's just some scary ass shit right there. That is fucked up beyond compare. That is fucked up beyond measure. Fucked up beyond compare. And it says, does it really feel as if you have a choice in the matter? Of course the hell not. That's my response. Free, me- free means to give or receive something without an expectation of return. The whole free will concept is self-defeating. Call it circumstantial will, for that is what it truly is. Oh, I love that the author says that. Yes, yes, the, the, the their verbiage is wrong. And our verbiage, as several people, is correct. 
Yes. Despite this, I still have had the displeasure of debating with those Christians who accept hell as a rational affair rather. Despite this, the author says, I have still had the displeasure of debating with those Christians who accept hell as a rational and fair wrath of God. Yeah, I don't debate religions. For example, I am on apps, right? For example, I'm on the Wisdom app, the Clubhouse app. I don't debate religions. I don't. Because it's it will infuriate me to even attempt to do that. And... I just don't have the emotional energy to do so. Because I'm not a arguer or debater by nature anyway. And some believers who will hear this podcast may try to get into it with me. I'm not ever going to try to get into it with them because it's all it's going to be is a culture of antagonism between us if we do that and I just never feel like embarking upon that road because it's quite an unpleasant one and here's how I feel why do we have to debate truth if it's the truth it should never be debated if it's the truth we should never argue with the truth because why argue with the truth if it's the truth, it needs no argument. If it's a falsehood, if it's a mythology, then yes. Debating and arguing will be the inevitable result. So I don't go into believer rooms and clubhouse or wisdom app anymore. I don't do that anymore. There are, there are even atheist rooms I don't go into because all they do, like the believers, believers and unbelievers on these apps, they tend to insult each other, they tend to name call each other, curse each other out, scream at each other, interrupt each other, uh, over talk each other, not let each other finish, and you know, all they do is engage in verbal abuse, verbal attacks, personal attacks, and they try to um, and, you know, it's word salad that's being engaged in those interactions, you know, talking in circles, not answering questions correctly which is definitely tactics of psychological and emotional manipulations. Anyway, let's go on. They, the author says they defend Jehovah's creation of hell with the opinion that those who are committed to hell go voluntarily, go voluntary as if it is a consequence rather than a punishment. Hmm. I grew up with that. That indeed we as children of God chose rather to be hell's inmates than God's disciples. That's what they claim. It's an interesting idea. However, you don't have to hurt anyone to get into hell. All it takes according to scripture is knowing about Jesus and not accepting him as Savior. Why is accepting Jesus as your savior all about conservative theology and what conservative theology says? How come accepting Jesus is not about being a damn good person? That's why you gotta do. And the term savior. Why is Jesus Batman? And why is he asking us to be his Robin? He should be Batman and Robin all to himself. And 
Why not preserve what's already innately good about your creation? Why do you have to save them from their falsified sin nature? Makes no damn sense. And it says, it doesn't matter how virtuous you are, how much good you do, how happy an environment you create for others. Given this, the voluntary entry argument doesn't make sense. The same argument could be used to justify the sending of Iran opponents of Nazism to concentration camps. They voluntarily chose not to give homage to Hitler, so they chose to be interred. Why should we blame the Nazis for the inmates' choice? Why should we blame God for the choice of the damned? Those are, I share the author's thoughts. It says. Genocide. I hear a lot from Christians about God's quote-unquote infinite compassion and mercy. Instead of harping on me about something so unapparent, they should go tell it to many nights. Please open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 31. The following verses are a classic example of wholesale slaughter and rape under the direction of the same God they claim to be so merciful. A quick sample of this tale. On the way to the promised land, God had Moses wage a war campaign against the Midian. Moses was told to put every Midianite to death, plunder anything of value, set fire to their towns where they lived and all their encampments and all their encampments. Moses gave the orders to his troops. The sons of Israel went on a further campaign. On the return of his troops, Moses was enraged with the commanders of the army. He said, Why have you spared the life of all the women and children? You are to kill all the children and kill all the women who have slept with a man. Lord says, spare the lives only of the young girls who have not slept with a man and take them for yourselves so that we may multiply into a great nation. Yes, friends, this is biblical and finite mercy and compassion for you. I particularly like the way that Moses got upset with them for sparing women and male children will allow the young girls to be kept for later raping. Obviously, that is my masterful sarcasm in effect. Here's my response to all these things. God doesn't love the kids. God has... God is has no heart for women. God is disdainful towards girls. God invented rape culture according to this passage. God invented organized crime. God is its own mafia crime boss. Apparently, God invented the concept of crime family. Apparently, the biblical God is a crook. Ugh. Then it says, I've had some Christians proclaim that these Midianite girls were not taken for raping but marriage. How ridiculous this bullshit is. Marriage and rape are not one of the things. Marital rape is not consensual marriage sex at all. Then it goes further. If you continue further in the scripture, you'll find that marriage to a many night was a crime against God. A man named Zimri broke the law and married a many night woman. A man named Zimri broke the law and married a many night woman. Apparently, this angered God, so he sent a plague among the Hebrews. 
Unfortunately, a zealous son of Israel speared Zimri right through the genitals, and the plague went away. So now I ask you, if you could not marry a Midianite, just what were these quote-unquote virgin women who were to help multiply good for virginity is a traumatic social construct. Virginity is subjective and it's quite vague. And I hate that patriarchal Bible writers, just like patriarchal people today, are threatened by a woman's eroticism, a woman's sexuality, and a woman's sensuality. They're threatened by a woman's kinkiness. I don't think the firstborn in Egypt during the captivity would have agreed with the verdict of compassion and mercy either. Exodus chapter 11, verse 5, and Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. First of all, Job is the one who purposely hardened the heart of the Pharaoh so that he would not let Moses and the Jews go. God messed with someone's free will. Wait, okay, okay, pause. So God likes to piss, quote unquote, himself off. You harden the heart of someone that is, that finds you disinterested and uninteresting. And you get mad at them. But you make them apparently evil against you. None of this makes sense. I'm going to get you to disobey me and then get mad at you if you disobey me. Mm. God messed with someone's free will. God could have even teleported the Jews out of captivity without bloodshed or put the Egyptians to sleep while they left. But no. But hell no. Mm, mm, mm. God decided to set up a situation in which he knew he would have to punish the Pharaoh. Through this, he didn't even do. He punished the children instead. Wait, he punished children instead. Okay, pause, 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 pause. Why take grown folk business out on the kids? How does God feel about the kitty table? Apparently, he invented it. Is that where old school adults get it from? The kitty table was God's clever punishment, apparently. So, a mad at adults, I'm taking out on kids. Sounds like a child abuser to me. Sounds like a child assailant to me. Sounds like a child assaulter to me. Sounds like a child bully to me. Sounds like child violence to me. Then it says, Judging from God's previous actions, killing innocent children is much more, quote unquote, his forte. Uh, uh, that's all I can muster up to say. Lastly, please attempt to read the entire book of Joshua this evening. And it's a long sequence of atrocities. I have not given all these quotes for space reasons. I urge you to look them up for yourself, especially for Christians who are not familiar with the Bible, because most of them are not, because most of them don't even read the Bible. How the fuck can you defend a book you don't read? Then it says, it will leave you not only shocked and in question of just what you're worshiping, but it will give a new definition to all morality you claim was a quote-unquote derivative of God. If by some chance you read Joshua and you are still compliant with the loving notion of God, I suggest you evaluate your code of ethics. I concur. Because I've read it. And all I can say is, it makes me want to gag and vomit 
That's how nauseous it makes me feel. Then it says, Here's the place I will now speak of common rationalizations used for this slaughter. I've discovered via my discussion that there are two major forms, the corruption argument and the mercy argument. The former says that those slaughtered were evil and deserving of their fate. The latter says that since they were religiously incorrect, it was a mercy to terminate their existence. Okay, both don't make sense. The corruption argument simply does not hold up. The people slaughtered in the Old Testament were almost uniformly blameless. With a few exceptions, of course, for instance, the Sodomites violated the convention the conventions of hospitality of thank you yes okay Sodom and Gomorrah was about inhospitality not homosexuality and it says usually no justification is offered beyond the fact that since there were of another tribe it was okay to kill them so God invented elitism, God invented tribalism, God invented cronyism, God invented nepotism. God invented the caste systems, apparently. <sighs> okay. <sighs> it goes without saying that the hordes of slaughtered children are innocent. Quick tip, if God was anti-abortion, quote-unquote, he would have ordered the murder of pregnant women and young children. Ooh. I just stuck it to those who claim to be pro-life, but y'all are pro-birth. As to the mercy argument, if I don't claim to be suffering and don't ask to die, Neither you nor any god has the right to decide that you know better. This would, of course, be a violation of my free will. If a person tried to do this to me, I would quite frankly attempt to kill them. If a god tried, well, the only weapon I would have would be withholding my worship. Are you beginning to see why I do not comply with the worship of the Christian god? Mm. I feel that I, I'm feeling author. She's 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 a wise person. I love her brilliance. I I love her kindness and I love her scholarly research and um, I love that she is of intellectual virtue. Speaks a lot to me. And why does free will have to be, well, I'm going to violate your free will and my name is the Most High. Ooh. Then it says neglect. Most of us giving omnipotence would be able to do a far better job than the biblical Jehovah. I agree. What would you do if given omnipotence? If your answer is anything other than abolish world hunger, disease, and save the earth, there's something more than a little healing perception of humankind. I take a step further. There's everything fucked up in your perception of humankind. That's me putting my trillions of dollars in that one. There's no question that the very balance of life is in peril. To wish for these things doesn't take quote-unquote infinite mercy. Just normal compassion and plenty of common sense. God's supposed infinite mercy is apparently the same thing as no mercy at all. So God keeps contradicting himself. Mm. What makes this particularly unforgivable is that even Jesus' own standards demand feeding of the poor. See, Matthew chapter 25 verse 35, to which it is stated that the blessed feed the hungry, and that the damned do not. I find it funny that God is held blameless, though, for not feeding them. Is not the old saying, practice what you preach, apply to God? Is his lack of action a hypocrisy or a sin? Could it perhaps be both? I think it's both. Hmm.
I think about the fact that why does God need people to preach for it? Why why does God need people to preach for him? Why does God need people to speak for him? Why does God need people to teach for him? You're omnipresent. There should be no such thing as the lost. You're everywhere. Preach to them yourself. Speak to them yourself. Teach them to for yourself. Don't use me. Use yourself. You can elaborate, pontificate, explain you better than I can. And then it says, Usually when I bring this up in a discussion, someone says, no, it is the evil of men that is to blame. They have lots of money, keep it to themselves rather than feeding the poor. Funny thing that the Christians who say this are usually conservative. These are the same people who say they're Christian, but they're into white Christian nationalism, white Christian privilege. Dominion theology, Zionism, and the mythology that America is a Christian nation. The founding fathers were deists. They made it clear America is clearly not a Christian nation. Besides, founding fathers were slave owners, but these conservative Christians. Pretend that that didn't happen. And it says, This argument uses a double standard. Men are held guilty for not feeding the poor. Notice there's no women or any other groups of people in this. It's heteronormative. While God is held innocent for doing exactly the same, in fact, it would be far easier for God to feed all the poor with, quote unquote, his omnipotence than for any mortal person to feed even one. Humankind is certainly not blameless here, but it is the biblical Jehovah who is the true God's will. Another popular rationalization is that life without cultural challenges would be boring and dehumanizing, so God does not remove them. The fallacy is grouping all challenges together. I personally lead a very challenging and satisfying life, but I have not lately had to flee any volcanoes or earthquakes, go without food for a week, or suffer the ravages of some disease. I would be quite happy, in fact, if I never do have to face such challenges as those. There's plenty of room for amelioration of the human condition without making it dull. Does it not defeat the purpose of living life if you are to starve to death? Hmm. Mm. Mm. I can totally relate. I've lived a life of unnecessary challenges and unnecessary pain. Think of my childhood as the reference point. required to know God. Suppose you were an omnipotent God and you demand worship such as the Christian God. Would you give proof of your existence to those who wish to follow you? I imagine for Jehovah that it would be quite simple to perform a continual sequence of verifiable miracles. And by the way, I would give overwhelming proof of my existence to those that I want to follow. But at the same time, 
God is coming off as a cult leader. And apparently this biblical God wants cult followers. And it goes deeper. It would be quite logical in practice too, for it would keep God's followers from delusion and doubt. There is no such luck with Jehovah though. He demands absolute fidelity without any demonstration of his existence. The only so-called record of his existence is the Bible. I think it pretty much goes without saying that not only is the Bible 2,000 years outdated, but it's also very unoriginal. Any Christian who proposes that the Bible is indeed an evidence for God's existence is proposing a double standard, but there are many books which claim to be actual accounts of a higher power. With this, in, with this in mind, why not believe in Allah from the Quran? Could it be because your faith is what determines your belief and not your so-called quote-unquote factual book? Let's examine what faith is. The definition of faith is hope for a circumstance or thing that is not proven to be true. There is no virtue in accepting something on faith since it may very well be false and it is clearly not virtuous to believe the false. Faith has also been proven throughout history time and again that it is equivalent to massive hysteria, crusades, burning times, inquisitions, holy wars, etc. By the way, all wars are unholy. Religious violence is unholy. Violence non-religious. That's unholy too. It's all bad. Okay? On a grand scale, faith thus far has only proven to be an intellectual weakness and a significant barrier to scientific and moral progress. Burning times means burning people at the stake and burning witches. It's called the Salem Witch Trials. That's what they're referring to. And it says, with all this in mind, how can God possibly expect us to view faith as the greatest way to glorify him, let alone demand this of us? Ooh. Let me repeat this one more time. On a grand scale, faith thus far has only proven to be an intellectual weakness and a significant barrier to scientific and moral progress. Most importantly, the point to remember here is that if we don't believe in him, we go to hell. And this is a greater evil than a lack of the quote-unquote virtue of faith or a stunting of science or anything else conceivable. If God is truly concerned about the good, he will do what he can to keep us from hell. And withholding vital information from us is the exact opposite of this. Oh, she's speaking my heart. I'm thankful for this author. God is the creator of evil. I am frustrated, or should I say I am pissed the fuck off at two specific verses in the Bible which apply to this particular topic. The first is the biblical statement that God is the Alpha and the Omega. Loosely defined, it means the beginning and the end to all knowing, which of course implies that all of his actions and results are foreknown to him. I have a real problem with this. For if God was to know ahead of time that someday he would send me to hell for being a non-religious person. I asked, what was the purpose in him creating me in the first place? Hmm. 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 Lovely question. Was it simply to watch me be tortured? Another lovely question. That seems to be the most logical explanation. I would say I concur. Again, I can think of no other rational explanation, nor neither has any Christian who I pose this question to. Some people have attempted to tell me that God has a purpose unknown to us and that we must simply accept his will. Would you keep a friend who commits evil and offers no self-justification or remorse Of course not. So why is this same judgment not applied to God? It seems rather contradictory that this trait is despised in humanity, yet it is worshipped in religion. <sighs> I want to I want to state this on record that 
it's obvious that I'm a realist. A realist is a person who accepts a situation as it is and is prepared to deal with it accordingly. Religion keeps people from being realists. Obviously, I want to say on record that I'm a rationalist. A rationalist is a person who bases their opinions and actions on reason and knowledge rather than on religious belief or emotional response. Religion keeps people from being rationalists. It's obvious that I'm into practicality. The quality state of being practical, the aspect of a situation that involves the actual experience of something rather than theories or ideas. And being practical means of an idea, plan, or method likely to see to be effective in real circumstances, feasible, suitable for a particular purpose of or concerned with the actual doing or use of something rather than with theory and ideas. Religion keeps people from enjoying practicality and religion keeps people from being practical. Again, it seems rather contradictory that this trait is despised in humanity, yet it is worshipped in religion. Mm, 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 mm. What a damn shame. A goddamn shame. Another punishment. Here we go. Secondly, I want to reinforce the fact that God is indeed the creator of evil. Please read verse Isaiah chapter 45 verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The Christian God outright claims that he is indeed the source of evil. So how can he then claim to be sinless? To be more specific, let's talk about the Lord's creation of evil. Let's talk about the conception of Satan. This being was created and unleashed by God. Job knew, for he is the all-knowing that at the time of Lucifer's creation, he would eventually become Satan and spend his existence wreaking havoc on humankind, the people of God, and God himself, right? Hmm. It just gets wronger and wronger and wronger. Leading people into criminal activities. Suppose I were to build an evil robot then I that I knew would go around torturing and murdering people. Again, Jehovah knew for he is the all-knowing that at the time of Lucifer's creation, he would eventually become Satan, spend his existence wreaking havoc on humankind, leading people into criminal activities. Suppose I were to build an evil robot tonight that I knew would go around torturing and murdering people. Whose fault would it be if I let it loose? Mine or the robots, I would say. I would say mine. Of course it would be mine if I created it with that purpose and unleashed it for that purpose. Now I ask you, whose fault is deviltry in the world? Is it the puppet Satan or the being that deliberately created Satan's evil? I would say the being that deliberately created Satan's evil. Now God plays switcher rule and humans are the creators of evil. Not only does the Bible imply but so do many Christians that we as a people are the creator of evil. It is clear from reading the Bible that this is untrue, but the speculation still remains. Supposedly when Adam and Eve fell from grace, they single-handedly brought evil into the world. All you have to do is think logically for a moment. You would obviously see something that's very unjust with this concept. Could any rational being hold a starving infant Ethiopia responsible for the actions of two long dead people? Or perhaps would you find it fair to be convicted of Jack the Ripper's crimes? The connection in both of these instances are not only ludicrous, but disgusting to nod your head at. People who use this argument are simply attempting to rationalize sadism. Sadism. Ooh. Her logic makes me happy. In reference to the office. 
I must declare that a Christian that walks into a children's ward and insists that it is correct that children suffer as a result of original sin must destroy themselves of all compassion and mercy. The wickedness is quite relentless. I insist that those who worship the Lord knowing this hypocrisy must be as cruel as the Christian God they believe in. A complete and utter moral degenerate taking stabs at protecting their belief system. A person as such would, ju- would just as easily worship Satan as God in their blindness and faith. I decided knowledge, not blind faith. For apparently no amount of evidence would convince them that God was bad once they decided to worship him. Their basic assumption that they are correct, which makes them untouchable by any amount of rationality. Ooh. I'm just reading. She's, I'm reading my thoughts in the form of this author. That's why I just keep going. Human judgment. One of the criticisms most frequently most frequently leveled at me when presenting any of the above arguments has been that I have no right to judge God. A pretty feeble grasp at the straws. Christians proclaim that God is the definition of good. All morality proceeds downwards from him, so it makes no sense to apply moral standards to him. But I must interject. God allowed my fake ancestors, Adam and Eve, to eat the, tr- to eat, to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge, thus allowing us to be like gods and know the difference between good and evil. This very biblical verse written in the first book of Genesis conflicts with the same argument these Christians attempt to use. If we as humans are now capable of knowing good and evil like the gods, why can't we use our judgment? How can it be lower than God's if God is the one who claimed that we are like him? Let's say for the sake of argument that I should not judge God. Well then, would it be fair to hold him up to his own standards? Please consult verses, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46, when we hear Jesus say, Go away from me with your curse upon you, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you never gave me food. I was thirsty and never gave me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you never made me welcome. Naked and, and you never clothed me. Sick and in prison and you never visited me. And they will go away to eternal punishment and the virtuous to eternal life. causing those injustices get to have food, clothes, water, shelter every day and the people suffering down. So this verse is problematic to me because of that. And it says, Now I've never personally seen Jesus feed the hungry, nor have I seen him give drink to those who thirst. But I do personally see thousands of people die of starvation. I do not recall Jesus dispensing clothes. He has never made me feel welcome, let alone acknowledge. I see the faithful sicking and die on a daily basis. In light of this, Jesus himself is the worst of all sinners. If there is no double standard, he will be at the head of the line into eternal punishment. He is guilty of every crime of which he accuses today. That's how I feel about the religious Jesus, not the genuine Jesus. These are, these are all my thoughts that I grew off on on the religious God. The genuine God, that's the one I want to get to know. Mm. In conclusion, I don't think I could ever compile a whole list as to what I find objectionable regarding the Bible. There are many more topics to which to tackle, such as 
the evil of sexism, the evil of infanticide, the evil of homophobia, and the likes. Frankly, I find it too tiresome to go on any further. As I read over all that I wrote, I simply wish to, to close this essay with a very brief summation. I don't believe in the reality of the religious God, not the genuine God. Uh, except as a psychological phenomenon, but if I did believe, I would not. But, but I don't want to worship that horror. I don't want to believe, I want to know. It violates my morality to worship a hypocritical judgment on self-righteous murder or punishment. It could send me to the hell it's made for those it dislikes. If there is no other choice for worshiping it, I walk it proudly. And in my conclusion, I concur with 